Father, we thank you so much for the blessing of being in church this morning. No matter how cold it is outside, it's warm inside. We thank you for each blessing, and I thank you for every person that is here today. Dear God, please be with us as we have our sermon and our communion today. We pray these things in thy name. Amen. Good morning, church family. I don't know about you, but the lights on Jim's guitar this morning is my happy place. <laughs> We've already had a Christmas miracle this morning. Oh, thank you. The power went out at my house at 6.30 this morning, and the thought of a cold shower was not something I was looking forward to. Thankfully, by 8 o'clock, it was back on. And thank you, praise team. You set me up very well with your song selection this morning. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, but out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This is how we think of the Christmas story. The stable, Mary, Joseph, the manger, angels, shepherds, and wise men, and of course, baby Jesus. This story is told in homes and churches across the world at this time of year. 
We decorate our homes and make ourselves crazy buying presents for those we love. I'm a little envious of the wise men. They only had to bring three. We get so busy celebrating Christmas, we can easily forget the reason for Christmas and what the birth of Jesus really meant for us. We get so wrapped up in celebrating the birth of Jesus, we don't think of the cross at the end of the story. That Jesus died, was in the tomb, and on the third day was resurrected, all to save me and you from our sins. A story that starts out so sweetly with a baby ends up with pain and suffering. Not for anything he did, but for everything I did. With the help of author Max Lucado, I would like to help paint a picture of what it might have looked like in heaven just before Bethlehem from Gabriel's point of view. Gabriel, just the sound of my king's voice stirred my heart. I left my post at the entryway and stepped into the throne room. To my left was the desk on which sat the book of life. Ahead of me was the throne of Almighty God. I entered the circle of unceasing light, folded my wings before me to cover my face, and knelt before him. Yes, my Lord. You have served the kingdom well. You are a noble messenger. Never have you flinched in duty. Never have you flagged in zeal. I bowed my head, basking in the words. Whatever you ask, I will do a thousand times over, my king. I promised. Of that, I have no doubt, dear messenger. His voice assumed a solemnity I had never heard him use. But your greatest work lies ahead of you. Your next assignment is to carry a gift to earth. Behold. I lifted my eyes to see a necklace, a clear vial on a golden chain dangling from his extended hand. My father spoke earnestly. Though empty, this vial will soon contain my greatest gift. Place it around your neck. I was about to take it when a raspy voice interrupted me. And what treasure will you send to earth this time? My back stiffened at the irreverent tone, and my stomach turned at the sudden stench. Such foul odor could only come from one thing. I drew my sword and turned to do battle with Lucifer. My father's hand on my shoulder stopped me. Worry not, Gabriel. He will do no harm. I stepped back and stared at God's enemy. He was completely covered. A black cassock hung over his skeletal frame, hiding his body and arms and hooding his face. The feet protruding beneath the robe were thrice-toed and clawed. The skin on his hands was that of a snake. Talons extended from his fingers 
He pulled his cape further over his face as a shield against the light. But the brightness still pained him. Seeking relief, he turned toward me. I caught a glimpse of a skullish face. What are you staring at, Gabriel? He sneered. Are you that glad to see me? I had no words for this fallen angel. Both what I saw and what I remembered left me speechless. I remembered him before the rebellion, poised proudly at the vanguard of our force. Wings wide, holding forth a radiant sword, he had inspired us to do the same. Who could refuse him? The sight of his velvet hair and cold black eyes had far outstripped the beauty of any celestial being. Any being, of course, except our creator. No one compared Lucifer to God. Well, except maybe Lucifer. How he came to think he was worthy of the same worship at God, only God knows. All I knew was that I had not seen Satan since the rebellion, and what I saw now repulsed me. I searched for just a hint of his former splendor, but saw none. Your news must be urgent, spat Satan to God, still unable to bear the light. My father's response was a pronouncement. The time has come for the second gift. The frame beneath the cape bounced stiffly as Lucifer chuckled. The second gift, huh? Well, I hope it works better than the first one. You're disappointed with the first, the father asked? Oh, quite the contrary. I am delighted with it. Lifting a bony finger, he spelled a word in the air. C-H-O-I-C-E. You gave Adam his choice, Satan scoffed. And what a choice he made. He chose me. Ever since the fruit was plucked from the tree in the garden, I've held your children captive. They fell fast and they fell hard. They are mine. You have failed. <laughs> you speak so confidently, replied the father, astounding me with his patience. Lucifer stepped forward, his cloak dragging behind him. Of course, I thwart everything you do. You soften hearts, I harden them. You teach truth, I shadow it. You offer joy, I steal it. He pivoted and paraded around the room, boasting of his deeds. The betrayal of Joseph by his brothers, I did that. Moses banished to the desert after killing the Egyptian? That was me. David watching Bathsheba bathe? I did that. You must admit my work has been crafty. Crafty? Perhaps. But effective? No. I know what you will do before you do it. You use the betrayal of Joseph to deliver my people from famine. Your banishment of Moses became his wilderness training. And yes, David committed adultery with Bathsheba, but repented of his sin 
and thousands have been inspired by his example and found what he found. Unending grace. Your deception only served as platforms for my mercy. You are still my servant, Satan. When will you learn? Your feeble attempts to disturb my work only enable my work. Every act you have intended for evil, I have used for good. Satan began to growl, a throaty, guttural, angry growl, softly at first, then louder, until the room was filled with a roar that must have quaked the foundations of hell. But the king was not bothered, feeling ill. Lucifer lurked around the room, breathing loudly, searching for words to say and a shadow from which to say them. He finally found the words, but never the shadow. Show me, O king of light, show me one person on earth who always does right and obeys your will. Dare you ask? You know there need be only one perfect one, only one sinless one to die for all the others. I know your plans, and you have failed. No Messiah will come from your people. There is none who is sinless, not one. He turned his back to the desk and began naming the children. Not Moses, not Abraham, not Lot, not Rebecca, not Elijah. The father stood up from his throne releasing a wave of holy light so intense that Lucifer staggered backwards and fell. Those are my children, you mock. God's voice boomed. You think you know much, fallen angel, but you know little. Your mind dwells in the valley of self. Your eyes see no further than your own need. The king walked over and reached for the book. He turned it toward Lucifer and commanded, Come, deceiver, read the name of the one who will call your bluff. Read the name of the one who will storm your gates. Satan slowly rose off his haunches. Like a wary wolf, he walked a wide circle toward the desk until he stood before the volume and read the word. Emmanuel, he muttered to himself, then spoke in a tone of disbelief. God with us? For the first time, the hooded head turned squarely toward the face of the father. No, not even you would do that. Not even you would go that far. You never believed me, Satan. But Emmanuel, the plan is bizarre. You don't know what it's like on earth. You don't know how dark I've made it. It's putrid. It's evil. It's, it is mine, proclaimed the king. And I will reclaim what is mine. I will become flesh. I will feel what my children feel. I will see what they see. But what of their sin? 
I will bring mercy. What of their death? I will give life. Satan stood speechless. God spoke, I love my children. Love does not take away a beloved's freedom, but love takes away fear. And Emmanuel will leave behind a tribe of fearless children. They will not fear you or your hell. Satan stepped back at the thought. His retort was childish. They will too. I will take away all sin. I will take away death. Without sin and without death, you have no power. Around and around in a circle, Satan paced, clenching and then clenching his fingers. When he finally stopped, he asked a question that even I was thinking. Why? Why would you do this? The father's voice was deep and soft. Because I love them. The two stood facing each other. Neither spoke. The extremes of the universe were before me. God robed in light, each thread glowing, Satan canopied in evil. The very fabric of his robe seemed to crawl. Peace contrasting panic. Wisdom confronting foolishness. One able to rescue, the other anxious to condemn. I've reflected much on what happened next. Though I have relived the moment countless of times, I'm as stunned as I was at first. Never in my wildest thoughts did I think my king would do what he did. Had he demanded Satan's departure, who would have questioned it? Had he taken Satan's life, who would have grieved? Had he called me to attack, I would have been willing. But God did none of those. From the circle of light came his extended hand. From his throne came an honest invitation. Will you surrender? Will you return to me? I do not know the thoughts of Satan, but I believe that for a fleeting second, the evil heart softened. The head cocked slightly as if amazed that such an offer would be made. But then it yanked itself erect. Where will we battle? He challenged. The father sighed at the dark angel's resistance on a hill called Calvary. If you make it that far, Satan smirked, spinning and marching out the entryway. I watched as his spiny wings extended and he soared into the heavenlies. The father stood motionless for a moment. Then he turned back to the book. Opening to the final chapter, he slowly read words I had never heard. No sentences, just words, saying each, then pausing. Jesus, nail, cross, blood, 
tomb life. During this Christmas Eve, while we celebrate the beginning of the story, we also want to take a moment to honor the end of the story, the crucifixion and the death of Christ. God instructs us to have communion in remembrance of him. We are instructed to use this symbolic service as a reminder of the sacrifice he made for us, to die on the cross, taking all our sins so that we might lead a fearless life. Fearlessly knowing that because of God's grace, we do not have to pay the price he paid. The price he, was willing, he willingly paid because he loves us. And as Max Lucado wrote, love does not take away our freedom, our freedom to choose. During communion, we think of the physical suffering of Christ. Modern day descriptions of a crucifixion describe incredible pain, suffering and agony. Not a mental image we normally have at Christmas. Of course, the spiritual anguish of the cross is real. Jesus was not only nailed to the cross, but he also freely took on all our sin. Nailed to the cross by our sin, God's crown of glory was replaced by a crown of thorns. He took all of this on, the physical pain, the mental suffering of his own free will, so that we could have a choice. He said, this is the kind of God I am. I do this for you. You are my children, and I love you. I want to show you the kind of people you can be. Lots of Christmas focus on the physical settings for the birth of Christ. We love the manger and the shepherds in the field, the story of the wise men and their gifts. We love these images for many reasons, but we should not overlook the spiritual realities of the birth of Christ. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great, <clears throat> and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In other words, this is the kind of God I am. I do this for you, to show you the kind of people you can be. This is the message of the manger, and it is the crux of the cross. It is communion and Christmas. The complete physical world, yet also the entire spiritual a truth that will never end. The reign of God over all life. 
your life, my life. And of course, we know ourselves, so we ask, me, God did this for me? In a word, yes. I would like to invite the audience to come forward and collect the emblems of the Lord's Supper and return to your seats. I also want to let everyone know that on this side of the church in the little glass bowl are gluten-free wafers if you prefer a gluten-free option. we take the bread and drink this cup in the name of Jesus as a reminder of the cross of his death and resurrection and even the meaning of his birth not only his birth in Bethlehem but his birth in our hearts 1 Corinthians 11 23 and 24 for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night that he was betrayed the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which was given to you. Do this in remembrance for me. Let us pray. We come this Christmas Eve to you, God, the giver of every good and perfect gift, to give thanks for your provision of the bread of life, Jesus Christ. We give thanks because you have sustained us by your spirit for the journey that we take with you. 
even as you sustained the Hebrew people with manna in the wilderness. You offer us your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we take this bread, we do so in remembrance of his life, his death, and his resurrection, which provides us with life in its fullness. Amen. Do this in remembrance of me. First Corinthians 11:25 says in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it let us pray we give thanks to you our God for the gift of the cup of our salvation. We come to remember and receive the healing and hope that is promised in the story of Christmas. We come in the knowledge that in the one we call Emmanuel, you are present with us. As we take this cup, may we fully experience your saving grace, reconciling us to you and to your creation. May these elements of bread and juice convey your presence to each and all of us so that we might go forth into the world as bearers of your light. Amen. Do this in remembrance of me. From the manger in Bethlehem to the cross at Calvary, God always had a plan, a plan that included a love for us so great he was willing to send his son to die, a plan to make us fearless, fearless of any evil Satan can do. He did this for us to show us the kind of people we can be. As we celebrate this season, my hope is that each of us pause and reflect on the greatest gift of all, Jesus. Nail, cross, blood, tomb, life, Emmanuel, God with us. Father God, as we close this most sacred service, we ask you to keep in our hearts the true meaning of Christmas. We thank you for the precious gift of the birth of your son for Calvary and the gift of salvation so freely given. As we leave this place, may we leave fearless, knowing we are your children and you love us so.